Listening to the Seek First podcast for students with Stephanie Akiyama and Kurt Petershawn. Welcome back to the Seek First student podcast. Yay! I am Kurt. Stephanie is with me here. Yes. Hello. We're in the studio. Hello, Kurt. <laughs> How are you across the I'm table there? I'm great. Not that we haven't already <laughs> talked to each other today. Um, just seeing you now for the first time. Yes. Um, wow, you showed up. So, is the Bible the Word of God? And how do we know that it is? How did That's we get question. it? Where did it come from? It is a good question. These are great questions. Um, yes. I've been asked this question a lot by teenagers and just had this conversation with lots of people. You probably have, yeah. too. Um, over the years. And I mean, I've even had the questions. I've wondered about it. I mean, I think we all do at some point just to, you know, the Bible that we have today, is it what was originally there for one thing? Is right. it, um, can we trust that? Um, is it reliable? Where did it come from? How yeah. did we get it? Right. How do we know that, that it <laughs> yeah. is from God and not just some guys that sat around a table and said, Man, this sounds great. Listen to this. Let me write, <laughs> yeah. let me put this down. Just write some stuff down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Probably for the next few weeks, mm-hmm. um, we're just going to talk about the Bible, the Word of God that we believe is the Word of God. Um, how it came to be. That's mainly going to be today. Just sort of how did we get the Bible? Where did it come from? How did it get put? Um, not just how did how did it get put in the order that it is today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But you know, where did these manuscripts come from and documents yeah. come from? Um, who wrote them? All that good stuff. Um, next week we'll talk a little bit more about okay if that's all true what we talk about today um, how can we trust it do yeah. can we trust it do we know that it's actually God's word right because um, again it is very different to say this is all great writings versus it's the word of God I mean that's yes a, because if it's if it statement. is truly God's word then it lays out how we know him, right. how we live in right relationship with him, um, all matters of faith and religious practice and morals. Like if yeah. it is true that this is God's word, then we have to pay attention to it. Like, <laughs> like we have to. Yeah. There's there's no other way to live yeah. uh, satis- satisfied. Satisfactorily. <laughs> Satisfactorily. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it demands our attention. Um, if it really is God's word. Um, so, okay. The Bible itself says that the Bible is God's word in many different places. (laughs) One that's probably the, um, one of my most favorite and and a very famous one is second Timothy chapter three. Um, this is the apostle Paul saying this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is the Apostle Paul saying we need scripture and it's great and it's useful. It's beneficial right. for our lives. Um, the question is, again, what is scripture? <laughs> Where did it come from? Um, all that kind of thing. So today we're, we're going to start off this conversation really just talking about where did the Bible come from? How did we get it today? Right. What's in our hands today? And can we kind of trust that that is the what the original authors at least uh, had in mind and what they intended and what they wrote. We may not fully answer the question today, um, is what we have the word of God necessarily? Right. Um, We're going to get there next week for sure. Um, But today we at least want to answer the question, is what we have today 
reliable based on what was originally written. Right. And okay. listen, today we're going to throw a lot of facts at you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we just want to go ahead and, and say up front, um, this is laying the groundwork yeah. for next week's where we go more into like more like apologetics. Like how, how can we yeah. believe that the Bible is God's word? What right. proofs are there? What evidences? But today, what we want you to hear is how it came to be, that it didn't just fall from the sky, that, um, <laughs> that, it, that, it, that what we have, we can trust the way that it came to us, mm-hmm. that it wasn't this weird story about, I mean, there, there are some holy writing or non-holy writings that call themselves holy writings that came uh, in ways that are highly... Suspect. Questionable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So what we want to do, so so I just say, say that to say, like, hang in there. Listen to this because hopefully it will bolster your faith. Yeah. Because listen, guys, the reason we read the Word of God is not just to be super smart and answer some Jeopardy questions. It is to know the God of the Word. Like, right. that's why we read it. And so what, what Kurt and I want to do is to make you fall in love with it so, so that you yeah. desire to read it so that you can des- so so that your desire for God uh, is is uh, just enriched through reading yeah. it and yeah. that you know that this is a faithful and true testimony of people who really saw what they said they saw and yeah. experienced what they said they experienced and believe yeah. these things are true about Jesus about God about the kingdom of God about right. us yeah. about sin about human nature all the things that are in the Bible contained in there um, man we, we want to know that it is reliable so yep. let's just jump right into we're gonna talk about textual criticism now I know that's Ooh. a that's a <laughs> fancy sounding term textual criticism basically what textual criticism means is textual criticism it's the science of taking ancient documents, Mm -hmm. piecing them together to kind of figure out, um, is this the best version of the original text? Basically, textual criticism, it's a a real job that real people have (laughs) um, where they are kind of archaeologists or whatever, and they dig up these old documents wherever they might find them in the world and go, okay, we want to know for sure that this is what the author originally wrote. So they yeah. they they have done this with all sorts of documents all over the world, some that um, if you're like in high school, you might be familiar with like the Iliad by yeah. Homer, right? So textual criticism, and I, and I bring that one up because I'm going to get to that in a minute about how that is, according to textual criticism and that science, the Iliad is a great um, representative of the validity of a document based on textual criticism, where we look at the Iliad and we go, this one's great because right. we have a right. lot of documents. This is what Homer intended to write. This is what yeah. Homer actually wrote, yeah. and we can have it today. So right. um, here, here are just a few facts for you. Um, on average, an ancient writing is going to have its first copy. So like as as scientists and, and, and archaeologists have done this over the years, as they dig up ancient documents, on average, they're going to find a copy of a manuscript that is is copied about a thousand years after the original manuscript. Right. Um, that's about an average. That and that's considered like decent. You know, if you find <laughs> a thousand years a later, thousand years <laughs> later, right? If you find a document that was written in 500 A.D. originally, but right. you find the copy that was written in 1500 A.D. So a thousand years later, right? You're, like, you're going yes. okay. That's decent. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm okay with that. Um, now here's here's a fact about the New Testament. So the New Testament copies that we have today are at very worst 225 years after the originals. And that's really, really, really good. Um, Also on average, um, of all other ancient documents, they're finding that 
there's going to be maybe a handful of these actual copies. So if they're digging up copies, they might find three or four copies right. of an ancient document. Right. On average with the New Testament, uh, well, not on average, sorry, uh, total with the New Testament, we have 5,000 Greek copies. Yes, and the thing, the, that, the thing that is important about that is so that you can look for discrepancies. Right. If I just have three copies, yep, yep, yep. then there's not a whole lot of discrepancies that I can <laughs> yeah. find. But if I've got five thousand copies mm -hmm. to look and see okay was copy number 41 is it closely related like like does it say the same thing as copy mm -hmm. you know 423 or whatever like <laughs> yeah. you can lay them all out and yep. and find the discrepancy so this is like legit guys yeah. so that is just we have over 5,000 copies of the Greek New Testament. Now, if you add in Latin, Aramaic, and other languages that yes. we have found copies of, yeah. of the New Testament, we have nearly 20,000. Yes. 20,000 copies of these ancient documents. What that means is, so if you want to do some math here, that means we have about a thousand times more reliable evidence for the authenticity of the Bible than any other book in history. A thousand times that better is, evidence yes. for the Bible. Now, that's any book. There's no other book that comes close to this. Now, right. I'll just say this. Um, like somebody who is Muslim, who, who follows Islam, one right. of the main criticisms they may have about Christianity is that our Bible isn't reliable because they, they need our Bible to not be reliable. Right, because them it contradicts to what, what, yeah. what the Quran says. Right, exactly. Yes. But this textual criticism right there, and the, again, look, this you don't have to be a Christian Right. To believe any of this. That's exactly this right. This is scientific fact. Yes. Um, that the Bible absolutely refutes Islamic claims that it's unreliable because we have over a thousand times more reliable evidence. Now, as I brought up Homer's Iliad a bit ago. Um, Homer's Iliad is something that is taught in schools, read in schools. I mean, it might be something that it's it's considered very valid. Right. Um, here are the stats on Homer's Iliad. It was written about 800 B.C., and its earliest copies are found about 400 BC. How many years is that apart? 400. 400 years. Yes. Okay. So we've got a 400-year gap there. Yeah. Like I said, the worst New Testament is 225 years. That's yeah. less. That's really good. Um, and we have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad, which is really good. Again, by textual <laughs> criticism standards, right. where usually you're finding a handful, yeah. we have 643. Right. That is the best ancient document we have compared to the New Testament, which has how many again? 20,000 yes. compared to 643. Um, so... Anyway, all that to say, it's not even not even anywhere near close. Yeah. So, I mean, if we if we throw out the Bible as not historically accurate or not mm -hmm. uh, uh, sound, yeah. we have to throw out all ancient documents. Yeah. Like there, like there it nothing. sets the standard right. for uh, indicating whether it is a reliable his, historical source. Right. Um, and so, it guys just know that it is reliable. It it like. By being written so close, mm -hmm. by the, the next manuscripts being written so close to the original, there are eyewitnesses. You know, like yeah. there are there are people who can back it up. It can be fact checked, right? Uh, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we have to remember that you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These guys are writing the Gospels while people are still alive who witnessed all the things right. that they're writing about. Who could say 
That's not the way it happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so, you know, yes, we have eyewitness accounts in yeah. these cases. And then, yeah, again, over over the centuries, and again, that 225 years of the, the copies versus the originals, that's the worst case. Right. In many cases, we have less than 100 years apart, yeah. where like the copies we are finding were written very close to the actual original documents, which yeah. is absolutely fantastic. There, yeah. Again, guys, there is nothing in history um, that even comes anywhere near, yeah. um, anywhere near what the Bible has as far as textual holding up to textual uh, criticism. We have 114, um, or sorry, um, the earliest copies we have of the New Testament. Uh, we have, uh, you know, there are fragments that we found less than 114 years apart. Um, there are entire books that we found less than 200 years apart. Um, we have found copies of the entire New Testament, like together. 325 years from the from the original. Wow. Um, so that's like yes. complete, perfect, you know, intact New Testament. Right. Um, which is, or sorry, that's 325 AD, which is less than 225 yeah. years apart from the originals, which is, again, it's just incredible. Um, by comparison, okay, so here's a little comparison for you. If we're going, and listen, I just want to be real clear on this. I'm not, we're not hating on any Muslim people or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. But we do want to say we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word. Yes, we want you guys to know the truth. Right, absolutely, versus the Quran, which is what a Muslim person would believe. Now, here's here's the comparison of the Quran versus the Bible. Um, The Quran was copied from the memorized words of one person, Muhammad. Stephanie, how many people wrote the Bible? About 41. Yeah, at least 40 or more authors, right? So versus just one guy, which is the Quran, Muhammad, who um, had, had people memorized his words and then copied them down on rocks, on palm leaves, even on the backs of other people. Yeah. Like kind of writing <laughs> things down based on like what they could remember. Early tattoos. Here's another problem with the Quran is that there are no manuscripts or um, or copies of the original that were ever preserved because in 656 AD, this guy named Uthman destroyed all of them after some disputes. Right. Destroyed all the originals right. and all the copies. Yes. <laughs> with some disputes. Because it came in two waves, right? Yeah. Um, Muhammad was in two different places. And in the first place where he was, Mecca, um, it was it was written and it was kind of peaceful and it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, then he moves to Medina and all of a sudden he becomes Changes. kind of like a warlord. Yeah. Right. And it, it just starts becoming violent, his writings. Mm-hmm. And so there were um, factions within right. Islam who were like arguing, no, arguing, that's not the way yep. it is. No, that's not. So so this guy just destroys all of them and says, you know what? We're going to start it over. Yeah. So he <laughs> like, created goodness. his own version. Uthman yes. creates his own version. And so anyway, all that to say, it's a very simple illustration just to say this. There is no evidence in the Quran itself that holds up to textual criticism. The science of textual criticism will throw yes. the Quran out the window. Absolutely. Because it does not hold up. Absolutely. Um, so at least what the original, what, you know, Muhammad yes. originally intended. So, so let's just say, look, so the unity mm-hmm. of the Bible is one of the things that absolutely proves that it yes. is. Because listen, guys, yes. let me just throw some numbers at you. There are 66 books in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It was written on three different continents. <laughs> okay. Like three different continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, by 40-ish, 41 authors who were all from different backgrounds. It wasn't like yep. so-and-so passed it down to their kid, passed it down to who their kid. They didn't it. know each other. They didn't know each other. Thousands Kings, of years apart. Shepherds, fishermen, yeah. tax collectors. Yes, all the things. Over, listen to the span of time, it was written over 1,500 years and yet. Mm-hmm. 
tells one continuous message without contradiction. Absolutely. It's crazy. It is absolutely Only insane. a God. Yep. Uh, this can only happen supernaturally, guys. It can only happen supernaturally. Yeah. So, and yes. you could try to make the case that, and I think what you just said, it just blows this up. But I mean, yeah, if you try to make the case, well, it's it's a some kind of conspiracy of like <laughs> right. people having this, you know, sort of like a what are the Masons today, yes, where it's like this yes. secret society of people that right. like, you know, pass these things down from generation. But even that man, like to find a document with such consistency, right. we, we referenced this last week about how like from Genesis 3, right, which is written 1500 or more years before the New Testament, yeah, right, from Genesis 3 until Revelation 22, how we see this consistent theme. When you see in Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 3 and 4, this, um, like the gospel being played out and this reference to what was going to come in Jesus, how in the world would Moses be able to write something like that, if Moses wrote, I think Moses wrote it, Um, how would Moses be able to write something like that at that time? It, with with no knowledge right. of what Luke yes. was going to write in the New Testament about what Jesus would do, right? Fifteen hundred years later, he yeah. didn't know Luke. No, who's Luke? You know, so or it, Isaiah writing about crucifixion absolutely. before crucifixion was ever invented, yeah, like exactly. seven hundred yes. years before crucifixion was ever even. And all these things. Yeah. So I think we'll get into a little bit more yeah. some of that next week. Yes. Um. Anyway, just a little foreshadow. So I know. Let's talk about the Wait, canon. The canon, real quick. So yeah. if you want a just a, a cool church history word, it's canon. This is not canon like uh you shoot cannons and or <laughs> but this is canon. Basically, just means a list, um, like an organized list. So the canon of scripture, we talk about the canon of scripture. That is what books are in the Bible. Yeah. Okay. From Genesis to Revelation. What are they in there? Uh, can you, can you say, I'm not, don't do it right now. All 66 books. Can you do it all? Can you say I can all? sing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the song. Yeah. I almost always get, I, I might mess up on the minor prophets, yes. but other than that, I'm, I'm decent. Yes. You need I'm to decent. go to E-Town and listen to yeah, the song. Listen we, to the song. We know the songs. Uh, yeah. Man, it's great to know, great to know all the books of the Bible, but how did how did these books actually get into the Bible? Like you said, there's 40 plus authors yeah. over 1500 plus years, right? Um, different continents, different plate, like all these. You gotta imagine, man. There are documents spread out all over the place. Um, so how did they all kind of come in to be? So real quick before we get to like the three important questions, a um, couple, a little bit of a history here. So there wasn't a whole lot of debate originally over the Old Testament mm-hmm. scriptures because really this was um, so we. Have have like the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses, probably, at least mostly by Moses. Um, And this is what the Jews called their Torah, their Mm -hmm. law, um, their their, their books of law. Um, So this was kind of the the original things given to Moses where he he wrote them down for the Jews to have, and this was their kind of primary book. And then throughout the history of the Jewish people, we have more writings come in about history, like the book of Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Esther and all these books, 1st, 2nd Samuel, all those, um, where it's just kind of chronicling their history. Right. And then we get some poetic books like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Then we get uh, prophetic books. Right which kind of concludes the Old Testament, where yeah. it's prophets coming in later in their history, writing down the revelations that God had given them right. for the people of God. These are almost like sermons, yeah. right? these prophetic books of them kind of telling God's people, hey, here's what's going on, right. here's what you need to do, right. here's what's coming, yeah. um, all that all that good stuff. And so there wasn't really a whole lot of debate. The Jews pretty well kept their documents, pretty well preserved. Um, well, and they transcribed and them so tra- meticulously. Yes, absolutely. Like they would know the, the, the center mm-hmm. letter of a book, like they would count from the yeah, from yeah, the yeah. front to the back, yeah. and go to the center letter. And if each copy, if the center letter was off, they burned it. They burned it. 
I mean, they were so meticulous. They did. They were legit. Because they revered it as the word of God. And if we're going to transcribe this, I mean, it was just, it was a holy Mm -hmm. um, work that they were doing. And so they didn't want one mistake. And so as they transcribed it and... Well, anyway, we'll talk about this later, but yeah. the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah, sorry. It's okay. Yeah. No, we're, we're excited about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just the meticulousness of, if that's a word, yes. meticulousness go of how they preserved those documents, yes. those those ancient writings, because they knew this was God's word, and they so revered it yeah. to the point that even at times they would kind of forget about the book of the law, right. like in Joshua, or <laughs> yes. it, it, um, who is it, Josiah, who right. finds it, right? It's stored in finds, the temple. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's there, but they would <laughs> yes. kind of forget about it. About it, forget right. to follow it, forget to obey it, and then they would bring it out again, and they would be like, "Oh man, like, oh, we're there not would be wailing and gnashing and of teeth." Yes, it was, it would, was terrible. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so by the first century, what we have is pretty well uh, preserved and, and canonized uh, Jewish scriptures. Right. We see Jesus open up the scroll of Isaiah, for yeah. instance, when he starts his ministry, and he so they would have scrolls of these various yeah. books. And then, so where the a little bit more debate would come in and all that would be the New Testament yeah. scriptures. Now, of course, the Jews who would look at the Old Testament and go, these are our scriptures, right. um, would deny any of the New Testament yes. scriptures right. are scriptures. Right. Um, the problem with that is, uh, is that most of the New Testament authors are Jews um, who yeah. also believed in the Old Testament scriptures, but also believed as apostles of Jesus Christ um, that they were now commissioned to write the New Testament scriptures. I think you can look at the end of the book of John where Jesus is actually telling his disciples, hey, this whole Holy Spirit's going to come to you. He's going to remind you about everything that just happened. Yeah. And he's going like, to, I think that was the point. Right. Jesus going, you're going to get to write these things down yes. so that they can then right. be preserved as scripture. Well, because when you get to the end of the Old Testament, it it's a cliffhanger. Like, right. like yeah. it, 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 it's the like, word of where's God. the yeah. end? Because the Old Testament is telling, he's coming. Mm-hmm. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then it ends. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait, where'd he go? Yeah. And yes. the fact that the New Testament, just another little piece of info, um, how do we know, it, like, is the New Testament considered scripture? Well, I mean, the New Testament is so, one, it's very cohesive to the Old yes. Testament. It simply, I like to kind of put it this way, where the Old Testament is the canvas and the New Testament's the painting of Jesus, yes. right? So the New Testament just brings us the clear picture of him, right. where the Old Testament was always pointing to him. Absolutely. Like you said, it kind of Absolutely. leaves us this cliffhanger. Yeah. And then the New Testament comes in and shows us who he is, what's the fulfillment yes. of all these things. And the New Testament authors never shy away from the Old Testament. Instead, right. they constantly reference yes. it. They constantly so go, Jesus. He, yes. and Jesus, yeah. and Paul, who's a Pharisee yes. who believed the Torah. Had it all memorized. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. all the apostles who wrote it, um, only a couple of the authors of the New Testament were not actually Jewish. They believed and they they lived by their entire lives, yeah. these Old Testament scriptures, but then just simply came in to go, okay, now Jesus has fulfilled these. Yeah. Now let us show you these stories in the gospel, show you how the church started in Acts, and then write these epistles to help us to understand the unfolding of all these right. things, right? And even like Peter makes reference in his letter that what Paul had written um, was very valuable, right? Yeah. So like Peter's right. kind of referencing. There's yes. yeah, even in the New Testament yes. itself, you know, right? Um, they're validating. They're, they're validating yeah. one another, absolutely. Um, okay, so then the question would be, how did we get these books of the Bible? How did right. how did you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all of them get kind of put in with the Old Testament canon right. to what we have today? Um, so basically, here's what happened: there were all these documents after the first century that, like Romans, that we have today. Right or whatever letters that Paul had written or Peter had written, John, mm-hmm. um, that these guys had written. Um, so no, over the next few centuries, basically the church people then had to decide, 
um, which of these documents that we have are valid? Which right. of them should we consider to be scripture the same way as we consider Genesis to be scripture? Right. Do we consider Romans on the same level as Exodus? Right. Like, that's crazy, but should we do that? Um, okay, so ask the questions that they were asking themselves. What were the four questions? That so the four questions themselves? were, um, was the author an apostle or have a close connection with an apostle? Mm-hmm. Um, is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? Like, were there any like red flags going, oh, no, no, no. Because remember, there would have been eyewitnesses at this time, Mm -hmm. or at least like my parents were eyewitnesses and Mm -hmm. they told me, they told me all this business. Yeah. All right. The third, um, principle was, did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? So did it, did it flow with the rest of Holy Writ? And then four, did the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect a work of God's Holy Spirit? Yeah. So over the next couple centuries, what we have is at various times, church fathers, church, and when I say church, like church, uh, elders, church leaders, yes. church elders from yeah. around different cities and different areas, different territories, they would get together at these things called councils. Yes. And they would just kind of, they would have these documents. Okay, I, I, I've brought this document that is said to be accredited to the Apostle Paul. Yeah. It's called the Letter to the Romans. Like, do we see? And they would read through it and they would study it and they would die, dissect it and they would ask those questions. Yeah. Do we know Paul wrote it or right. someone? very closely associated with Paul, yeah. whatever. Um, is it consistent with Scripture? Does the church at large accept the teachings right. here? Um, does it hold up to the general teaching of morality and yeah. theology of right. the rest of the Bible? Yeah. Obviously, Romans does, so they would go, man, this is Scripture, This yeah. and it's referencing it's Scripture, and it's holding this up. Right. Absolutely. So that's what they would do yeah. with all these books over the you know the next few centuries by um, so by the end of like the second century about 170 AD we have found that there was this thing called the Muratorian Canon okay now this is the earliest known list of basically New Testament books that yeah. we can look at or really all the books um, that we can look at and this was actually discovered in the 1700s in a, in a library in Italy <laughs> they discovered this Muratorian Canon that was a list of books and it was dated to 170. AD, okay? Awesome. So less than 100 years right. after the completion of the New Testament, right. we had a list of books right. that the church considered to be scripture, yeah. um, which is really cool. In it, it was listed, listed 22 of our current 27 New Testament books. Yeah. So not all of them, yeah. but 22 of the 27. Um, I believe, I didn't have it listed, but I believe it was like um, Third John they... was not one, yeah, Hebrews, Hebrews was not James, one, Revelation. First and Second Peter yeah. and Third John were left out. Yeah, so there was a yeah. couple that they were still debating about. Yeah. Like, do we know right. for sure whether... Like we were right. just talking about Hebrews, yeah. like... yeah. The author of Hebrews is unknown to yeah. us. Unknown to us still today. Yeah, still today. Um, there's, and so maybe that, because yeah. the first kind of filter was the author, right. an apostle, or have a close connection with an apostle. So yeah. Kurt and I were talking about maybe maybe they knew way back then, but, <laughs> but yeah. it, it didn't make it yeah. to us. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, And so by the Council of Laodicea, mm-hmm. in, this was in 86, uh, 363, mm-hmm. so towards the end of the 300s, the Council of Laodicea, they recognized 26 of the 27 New Testament books. So they included Hebrews, they included yep. all the Johns, yep. James. They didn't include Revelation yet. Revelation was the trickiest one for a lot of people just because there was a lot of debate around it, Yeah, um, which makes sense. I mean, I get that, but eventually they did include Revelation because um, actually the earliest first century Christians, second century Christians, 
Christians, as they looked back in the histories, they seemed that it was pretty clear that they all believed John wrote it, the right. Apostle John wrote yeah. it, and then it was a true revelation that he had from Christ um, about the end times, even though it's very hard to understand, and we're yeah. still there's still a lot of debates about it yeah. uh, today. But they did end up um, even accepting revelation. So by the end of the, the 300s, mm-hmm. we have the 66-book canon yeah. of Scripture, okay? Less than... Less than 300 years apart from their writings, right. it seems that there were Christians that generally had consensus, these are the books yeah. that we consider to be the Bible, and 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 we believe them. Um, so can we talk a little bit? We have a few minutes. Let's talk a little bit about translations real quick. Yeah. If that's okay. I you just have, wanted to say one yeah, thing ahead, about, ahead, the, about the, the different councils. Um, yes. Sometimes uh, we can think that because the councils were made up of humans, uh, that there's room for human error here. And, oh, well, they accepted this at this point, and they didn't accept it at this point. I just want to make clear that... God was God was orchestrating this mm-hmm. the whole time, yeah. right? Like what we have as scripture is God's word because God said it's God yeah. God's word, right? Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't because uh, fallible humans got together and were like, oh, I like this one. Oh, this one gives me warm fuzzies. I, I want to include this yeah. one. It it was God guiding these guys. Lots of prayer, lots of right. ch- fact checking and yeah. and prophecy checking and all the things. And yeah. so it and this it, happened over years and years. Yes, of, and so it was God yeah. guiding this. So, yeah, yeah. And just wanted to throw that in there. And we all know this. Anytime you have. More than one or even a couple people putting their eyes and their hearts and their minds on something, you're going to have debates. Right. You're going to have disagreements. But also what you'll probably have is the most objective view right. at the end. Right. And what that means is uh, probably the way these councils worked was it kind of eliminated anybody's personal preferences. Absolutely. And created this, okay, we have to be willing to say, uh, again, let's ask these questions. Right. Do we know an apostle wrote it? Do we yes. know the church accepts it? Does its theology yes. and its message hold true right. even to Genesis? Yeah. Does it contradict Genesis? Right. Then it ain't scripture. That's right. Does it contradict Joshua? Then it ain't scripture. Right. Whatever. So. And on their faces before the Lord, they all had the same spirit in them yep. guiding them. <laughs> right? So, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit was in each of them guiding them. So yeah. So just so, wanted to make that point. Great. Checks and balances and all the good yes, stuff. Yes, all that, the things. Sort of a democracy type yeah. thing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, but yes, God orchestrating, God putting it together, God. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So let's just end it up real quick with some translations. So um, the first uh, non-Greek translation that we call the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, was translated in 382 AD. Okay, so now we have all the books, and then this guy named Jerome uh, translated them into Latin in 382 AD. Um, and then many, many years later in 1382, so we got a thousand years after that, um, So we had the Latin Vulgate for all those years, which is great. And then this guy named John Wycliffe came in and translated the Vulgate into English, what was then English, um, which is kind of cool. Thank you, Wycliffe. For us. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yes. Because I don't know Latin. I don't either. Yeah. And then William Tyndale translated the original manuscripts to English in the 1500s. Now, what we have as far as like the first... um, uh, kind of more modern day translation. This was the King James. Okay, so King James, actual King James. Yes. Um, in 1611, King James of England, he ordered that a new modern English translation be commissioned. So here's what happened. 50 linguistic scholars from all over the place, they worked together to create the King James Version from the original, or from the, 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 the oldest yeah. Latin texts that they had. Um, in 1611, the King James Version was created. 
Nice. Um, and even still today, we look at the King James Version along with the New King James as being maybe the most accurate and reliable um, translation translated from those, from those uh, you know, Latin text. Right. I, I would say today, and you might uh, have other thoughts, I don't know, but um, I think ESV, NASB are also two very good, because to me, when I look at the ESV, that's English Standard Version, or the NAS, which is the New American Standard, um, the ESV is a basically a more, just a little bit more modern English version of the King James. Yeah. It's, it's right. really translated from the yes. same documents with the same mindset as the right. King James. There are many, many modern day translations. Yes. Um, now some people, you know, there, there's a little bit of debate on a lot of, right. lot, there's a lot of debate on a lot of those, um, <laughs> yeah. where some translations take liberties with certain words or certain ways, right. that certain or they phrases, translate phrases, phrases by phrases. Word by word. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for instance, an ESV is known, or a King James is known mm-hmm. as a word by word translation. Yes. Word, word, word. Every word is translated exactly. Yeah. Where like an NIV or an NLT right. is going to be more of a, um, Phrase by phrase. Yes. So they'll take a paragraph. Okay, right. What was the point of this paragraph? Right. And they'll translate that. Right. And then you'll have um, translates like the message translation. Yes. And I think there are some others that are more paraphrases. Yeah. And they're just harder to do like yeah. word studies. Like if you want right. if you want to study right. a particular word, like what does repent mean? And you want to yeah. find it everywhere. It's easier to do in a word by word translation. Word by word translation. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, there you have it. I know. Look, we 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 understand there's a lot of facts and stats. We and get really geeked out about it. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're like we're uh, super excited. We got all our uh, papers spread out and super excited yeah. about it. So hopefully, yeah. if nothing else, today you're just encouraged that um, textual criticism and the history of the canon of scripture and the way that it all came about um, was meticulously done right. by people who were directed by the Spirit of God over yeah. a couple thousand years yeah. um, to create what we now have today as our Bible. So that when you hold your Bible in your hand today, you can go, okay, this is at least, now I'm saying at least because we're going to continue next week to talk more about that it's God's word, but this is at least an accurate translation of what, you know, John originally wrote, Moses originally wrote or whatever. Yes. I think we can agree on Yes. And most, again, even non-Christian scholars. Oh yeah. They pretty well can look at the Bible and go, yeah, it's accurate. It's historically accurate. Historically accurate. Yes. The most Historically accurate ancient text. Yes, the most (laughs) historically accurate ancient text. Without compare, um, which is fantastic. So, Uh, yeah, next week we'll jump into okay, so if it's accurate, then is it true? Right. Is it is it true to the theology? Is it true to is it really God's word? Yeah. And should we is live this by God it? speaking to should us or just it? these forty one guys? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Anyway, thank y'all for listening. Again, if you have questions, please send them to us. Let us know. Um, you know, we we love to hear kind of from you. And and look, it doesn't have to be questions necessarily about something specifically in the Bible. It can be right. more of a life thing, right? But Cultural the, questions. I, I want to remind yeah. us that yeah, the point of this podcast is we call it the Seek First Podcast, right. being the idea that. Then we, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all things that we do. Right. Um, and so that means every topic, you know, we believe that we can speak into that from the perspective of we are God's children living in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe the gospel, as we talked about last week, and, and we can see this from that point of view yeah. and be able to, you know, have and a God conversation. And God speaks to, speaks to all the situations. He yeah. answers. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, his word is living and active and breathing. And we'll talk about more. We'll talk mm-hmm. more about that next week. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening. Yes. As always, seek, seek first, first the kingdom, kingdom of God. God. Thank you for listening to the Seek First podcast. We hope and pray that you have been encouraged and empowered to seek first the kingdom and righteousness of God in every area of your life. 
If you are a teen or young adult and have a question or topic that you would like Stephanie and Kurt to discuss on Seek First, simply email kurt at eastridge.church. Until next time, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.